We're going to read today in Luke 21, 25 through 33. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when we see these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And and he told them the parable, look at the fig trees and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you shall see yourselves for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is the word of God. Hello, FBC Medford. We are the Prophecy Pros. I'm Jeff Kinley, and this is Todd Hansen. Great to see you. <laughs> and we're very excited about being with you guys on April 29th. It's going to be a fantastic time, a day of just getting clarity and confidence and hope around the scriptures. And we're going to look at the times in which we're living and see what the Bible says about it. But more than anything else, you're going to be equipped and strengthened in your faith in Jesus Christ. You sure are. We know it takes a lot to give up a Saturday. It's 9 to 3. It's kind of a full-day thing, but we promise you, you're going to walk away with so much clarity, so much encouragement, ready to hit the ground running, ready to attack life with whatever's being thrown at you right now. So we can't wait to see you. We invite you to come. Tell your friends. Tell everybody you can to come check us out uh, for the Prophecy Pros Pop-Up Conference. Really? I was going to try and keep it short this morning, but now, here we go, buckle in. April 29th, Todd and Jeff, as they just introduced them th- themselves there, a little pop-up prophecy conference we have. The main goal of that is to know more about God and um, his son Jesus through the scriptures. And so I hope you make plans to being there. If you want to know more about it, go to our website, fbcmedford.org. And there's a link at the top of the page, Prophecy Pros. You can click on that and get all the details. It's totally free. There's no cost to it, but we would like you to register so we know how many people are coming so we can make proper arrangements. We're serving lunch. You do have to pay for that. It's 10 bucks, but all the proceeds for that goes to the Costa Rica uh, ministry team uh, from our youth ministry. And uh, so be sure to register online for that. That's April uh, 29th. I wanted to highlight that again today because we're in Luke 21, and we're looking and thinking about more in the Olivet Discourse uh, it, some things that Jesus is talking about, things coming in the future. And so why don't we g- begin with a time of prayer, and then uh, we'll jump into our scripture in Luke chapter 21 this morning. God, we thank you this morning uh, for the grace you have shown us. We thank you that we have the opportunity to know you through your word, and we look forward, Lord, to the opportunity we're going to have one day to see you face to face. But until that day, Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding on what it means for us as believers today to live with patient endurance, to glorify you by being on mission for the kingdom of God even during these times. 
And God, we may that pray that you would use whatever means you need to to make us more like your son, Jesus. And uh, we pray for a lot of folks in our church today that are having a rough go of it. And think of Lorraine uh, Granger. We just ask that your hand would be on her and Calvin. Think of Mike Mansfield. And we pray, God, you give him uh, full recovery. Pray for uh, Ed's uh, brother, Al, that the surgery would go as planned tomorrow and that it would be successful. We pray for Ed's wife, Karen that you'd be with her this morning and the challenges she faces. And, and Lord, the prayer email this week was kind of blowing up. So there's a whole bunch I didn't mention here today. And I just pray that you would be with all of us who are having a rough time and need your help and that you would be our strength and you would provide uh, the way out. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the name of the sermon today, The End is Near. I was half tempted to wear a sandwich aboard painted the end is near on it, and that's exactly what Jesus was saying. But in light of that, in view of the fact that Jesus considered the end to be near, I think we need to uh, think about what it means for us as believers, knowing that one day Jesus is going to return, and how should that inform our lives today? And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 28. The end is near, so lift up your head, have hope, stand tall. Jesus wants to encourage us that one day he's going to come in glory and establish his kingdom. And what we need to understand about the Bible when it talks about things in the future, there is a day that dominates the theme of the scripture from Old Testament to New Testament when we're talking about what we hope for in the future. And that day is the day of the Lord. The day when his kingdom is established in, in all of its glory and in all of its power. But the day of the Lord is a day of, well, it's a day of reckoning. So I might say it this way about the day of the Lord. The party is over for some, and it's just beginning for others. And you, you, I know I can tell what you're thinking already. That's kind of harsh. And it is. It is, it is kind of harsh. But the reality is that's what the Bible teaches. That the day of the Lord is a day of reckoning. That those are right, who are rightly related to Christ and his kingdom through faith in the Son of God for salvation, that is when life really begins. And those who have rejected Christ and his uh, plan of salvation and the forgiveness he has offered through his death on the cross, well, the party's over. And all hope in this world, on the day of the Lord, everything you could hope for in this world. I don't know what you might be hoping for in the world today. Maybe you're hoping for a um, really great retirement. Uh, Maybe you're hoping for a promotion. Maybe you're hoping for the opportunity to sell your home and buy a better home. Maybe you're uh, hoping uh, for a robust family into the future. I, I don't know what kind of thing you might be. There's a lot to hope for. Maybe you're hoping... Uh, as Seth mentioned, that spring will actually at some point join us. I don't know what you're hoping, but on the day of the Lord, all hopes, 100% of all hopes that are fixed on this world will no longer be. They have an end. There is nothing in this world that can be hoped for that is permanent. On the other hand, those whose hope is in Christ Their hope is fulfilled, and it endures forever. So the end is near. If your hope is in Christ, if your life is rooted in him by faith, 
then as we look down the road of the future and what the Bible tells us about the future, the Bible tells us to lift up our head, stand tall, be ready, and know that good things are coming. So Jesus acknowledges here, and we're going to look at it here in a minute, that following him in this world can be a little bit tough, can be burdensome. But what he wants to tell us as we look to the day of the Lord is it won't always be this way. In fact, your life in Christ, for the most part, the vast majority of your life in Christ will be worshiping him in person through all of eternity. But during this brief time, we experience hardships. When he returns, the world will melt away in fear, but those who are in Christ will stand in joy. Look at verse 25 of Luke 21. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and stars and on earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and of the waves. And so Jesus here, as he's talking with his disciples, is describing things that will be observed on that time when the day of the Lord is most near. And he's talking about natural phenomenon that when observed destroy any sense of safety and okayness. Maybe you've experienced this in a, in a sort of localized sense. Maybe you've had to uh, live through a, a significant earthquake. It's very disorienting when an earthquake happens because there's nothing that tells you it's coming. It just Things just start shaking. And at first, when I was in one one time, you just, I was standing in, a, in an office in the place where I worked, and, and I thought I was getting sick. You know, my head was spinning. I was like, am I getting vertigo? What's happening? And then pretty soon I think, Wait, no, the whole world has vertigo. Everything's shaking. And then you're wait a second, we're in an earthquake. It's very disorienting. And you could imagine what it would be like on earth when significant things are happening in the atmosphere and in the heavens and even discussing, uh, as he says, significant things happening in, in the oceans and the seas. What Jesus is saying here is when you experience the world around you on the days that the Lord is coming, when, when that time is upon us, there will be no sense of everything's okay. You'll have crazy things happening like snow in spring. Just disorienting. There will be no place for peace and calm and tranquility. This is, as, as people, we squirrel away times where we can get away and have some ease and relaxation. You probably have a, a rhythm in your life where you take some time each day or every now and then just to get everything okay, and what Jesus is saying, in those days, there will be none of that. There would be no place that you could go to experience a sense that we can relax for a little bit. Could you imagine, or maybe this is your life even today, a sense of all the time wondering what's going to happen? And this is what Jesus says is coming. That the, I wonder if something's going to fall out of the sky. I wonder if the house is going to fall down. I wonder if the earth is going to open up. I wonder if the sea is going to stay on that side of the mountains, all of these things. Jesus saying, this is what's coming. This is what believers need to understand will be signs of what is coming in the future. He describes how people resp will respond to these events during that day. Verse 26, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So the response of people is a response of fear on that day, when the day is coming, when the, the signs are in full bloom, so to speak. Everything that used to be celebrated is no longer celebrated. And there's a sense of foreboding. What does foreboding mean? We know what foreboding means, but let me explain what it's going to be like. 
It's, it's something bad is happening, and then in the back of your mind, you're going, is this over or is it going to get worse? And there's a sense that even that the worst is, is yet to come, the worst isn't behind us. And this is going to be the experience of those days. People are going to, to respond with fear, a sense of foreboding in the whole world is what he is describing here. The most powerful things, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So the, the most powerful things, both here in the world and above, will be shaken. So anything that you might have confidence in in this world, at that day, you will no longer have confidence in that thing. All confidence fails. All hope in this world disappears. This is a, a, a broad experience of the world around us where people will realize this world is temporary. And there's nothing here to anchor your hopes to. And Jesus says, these are the signs that the day is upon us. Look at verse 27. Here's what we're hoping for. And they will see the Son of Man coming in glory. I should say this. The Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Jesus returns just like he left. Look over with me at Acts chapter 1. Beginning in verse 6, I'm going to read it. Here's what it says, Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, this disciples with Jesus after he had risen from the dead. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to him, it is not for you to know times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. That's kind of a rude answer. You know, there's a lot of things you could have said that was polite. Hey, is it going to happen? He said, don't worry about it, guys. Just stay busy. Uh, you know, but he said, no, it's not for you to know. This, this is a nice way of some, him saying, this is way above your pay grade. Like, you can't handle this. I'm not going to tell you. So he wants to know. This is what's funny about this. He doesn't merely want them to know he's not going to tell them. He wants them to know I'm not going to tell you. Like, I'm not telling you. I, this, I, that's not your job. But he also implies here that it's not today. And that actually the job isn't knowing when, but the job is being ready. It is not for you to know the times or seasons. The Father has fixed by his own authority, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Your job is not to know when. What's your job? Be witnesses. Your job is not to know when. Your job is to be witnesses. So when you go to buy a book, uh, your, your favorite Christian book at the bookstore or at the Amazon, I know it's Amazon. I do that on purpose. If there were two options there, when is Jesus coming? How to be a good witness? Which one are you buying? When, exactly. When is Jesus coming? And if the author is smart, you open that book, it's one page, and it said, it is not for you to know the times. That's what that book should say. But instead, it's 300 pages of math. Turn in words into numbers and... Anyway. And what's the job? What's the job? Be witnesses. That's the job. Verse 9. And when he had said all these things, 
As they were looking on, he was lifted up on a cloud and took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, we've been doing that for 2,000 years. While they were gazing into heaven, two men stood by them in white robes. This is my favorite part. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? What are you guys doing? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Luke here in Acts is reaffirming what he told, tells us in Luke 21 is that one day Jesus will return in glory and he will return in the same manner in which he left. They will see the Son of Man coming in cloud with power and glory. So we have to understand something about how God is working the plan of redemption out in history because this tells us how our lives fit into that plan. So let me give you very quickly that plan of redemption in history. Suffering leads to glory. There it is. Suffering then glory. Look at a couple of places in your scripture. Hopefully you have these in your mind where this has happened. Joseph. You remember Joseph? Fancy coat? Joseph suffered prison, false accusations, and then what? Glory. He led all of Egypt through a famine, and doing so, what happened? Saved his family. Remember that? Suffering, glory, saves his enemies. Sound familiar? There's more. How about a guy named Job? Suffering, remember all his suffering? Kids dead, camels gone, donkeys gone, lots of things. Sores that he had to scrape with pottery. I don't know why. If you get a sore, try it, I guess, break some pottery. Not something nice. Well, I was worried you could break something. Greg, you told me to scrape my sore with pottery. I broke my nicest china. Why would you do that? Break the ashtray your kid made for you in first grade. That's not right. That's not it's out of line. I don't even know where that came from. Job suffers, and then in the end, what happened? Everything was restored to him. What happened before that? Prayed for his three friends that they would be forgiven. Suffering, glory as the means of redemption. Then we look at Jesus. Suffering, yes. Goes to glory, yes as a means to save his enemies, us. So why would we imagine that our lives would have a different trajectory than his? What was his? Suffering to glory to bring redemption. So what's our job? Suffering to glory, and what's the job in the middle? I've said it three times. What's the job? Be my witnesses, which is what? Redemption. So what we discover, Jesus is saying, I have suffered, and I'm coming in glory, so therefore you will also suffer, but there will be great glory in the meantime, be my witnesses. Because this is how redemption has been worked out through all of history. And then we have a bad day and we ask God, what are you doing? He said, I'm following the word I told you. That's literally what I told you would happen. Be my witnesses. Jesus is going to come back. Look at verse 9. We covered it last week, but I just want to remind you of this. Verse 9 in Luke 21. You will hear of wars, tumults. You will be terrified. These things must first take place, 
but the end will not be at once. So we know from Jesus' own mouth that the plan has never been for him to rise from the dead and immediately establish his kingdom in all of its glory. The plan has always been to rise from the dead and for there to be a time, we would call it a delay, there would be a time where that plan of redemption is worked out after his resurrection. That's what's happening right now. When will the end come? Not at once. It will come precisely as we have heard when he means for it to come in all his, all his authority. Since our difficulty that we face even now and up until those terrible times before the day of the Lord, since our difficulty is part of what it means to live that redemptive history as Christ did, what it means is all of the pain of our sanctification, all of the pain of living in a broken world, all of the difficulty that we face every single day just as people in a broken world will finally pay off one day. It is not wasted. All of it is leading to something. It all has purpose and intention in the glory of the kingdom of God, and we have to keep that in mind. It's not in vain. It's not wasted. It's not ignored. It's all on purpose, and that's difficult to get our mind around in the midst of it, and we understand that when you read the book of Job. Here's a guy just like us who doesn't know what's going on. Where's this going? It's confusing. I don't know what God is up to, and what Jesus is telling us, here's where it's going. I'm coming in glory one day, and all of this suffering and difficulty will be redeemed and, and have a clear intention and purpose, and your eyes will be open to it on that great day. Since the difficulty of sanctification and the difficulty of living in a broken world is a weight that is burdensome, he wants us to know that it's going to pay off one day, and what is our response to that even now? Look at verse 28. When these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. What he's saying is when you see indications that this thing is going exactly as Jesus said it was going to do, that can be an encouragement to the heart of the believer. Because we say, oh, look, our hope is on the horizon, it's coming. I don't know when, I don't have a date, and I wouldn't pick a date. But we see that things are going the way Jesus said it was going to go. And as believers, we say, wait, wait, I can lift my head. It's going to be okay. We can live now knowing that the day of the Lord is going to come. It's almost here. It's closer than it's ever been. So we don't give up now. We can make it home from here, can't we? We're pretty close. We can make it from here. Now, why is it difficult? Here's why, and I'll explain it to you. And I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the people who couldn't be here because it's spring break. So if you're streaming this from Disneyland, that's you. No, I'm kidding. That's, that's rude. So why is this hard? Here, I'll explain to you what happened. Well, I'll, say, I'll say this. This is what happens to me. And maybe, maybe this happens to you. You say, well, sometimes things, bad, bad things happen, and I don't lift my head. I, I, I just get really, really discouraged. And here's... One of the reasons, there are many reasons, here's one of the reasons that happens, is because, yes, we have our hope in the Lord, but we also have lots of other little hopes. Yeah, I, I hope in Jesus, can't wait till that day comes, but guess what? It's not today, so guess what? I got a real life to live, and so I have a lot of other little hopes. I'll call them that, little H hopes. And then every now and then, just on weekdays and weekends, some of those little hopes fail. 
They just don't work out. The plans we laid, bomb. The people we trusted weren't trustworthy. We let ourselves down. We said we were going to do a thing, and we didn't. Or we tried to do the thing, and we just couldn't, and we failed. And so suddenly, all these little H hopes have dropped out from under us, and we do what any normal person do, and we get, we get discouraged. And that discouragement, that's what we do. And what Jesus is saying is have the foundation of your life not be on these other little things. They're temporary. The foundation of our life is where? The hope that one day he's coming in glory. And that will not fail. If our hope is on eternal things, our hope will never fail. If our hope is on the things here, it is guaranteed to fail in a matter of time. Because all things in this world let us down at some point. So be of good courage. Jesus is coming precisely the way he left. He will return. And so those of us who have our hope in him can have our eyes lifted to the sky. Look at verse 29 through 33. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and also all the trees. But the fig tree in particular. I hear figs are good. I've never had a fig. I've only had them in a Newton. And those are really good. I can eat a whole sleeve. As soon as the fig tree comes out in leaf, you know and see for yourselves that summer is near. So also when you see these other things taking place that we just read about, you know the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not pass away. The fig tree, pay attention. Jesus is saying things will happen just as I said, and just like you can see that a fig tree is coming into leaf, you will know that the times are near. I was trying to think of something I could compare this parable to that we might relate to. So I finally figured something out. And this is important. It's a weather rock. You ever heard of a weather rock? A weather rock hangs from a chain and then has a sign telling you how to interpret the weather rock. You've seen this. If not, Google it while I'm talking. If the rock is wet, it's raining. If the rock is bouncing, there's an earthquake. If the rock is white, it's snowing. If the rock is gone, there has been a tornado. If the rock is wet and swinging off to the side, you're in a hurricane. So what, what this thing does, it doesn't tell us the future, it tells us the now. And then you say, well, that's silly. I wouldn't need the rock for that. And Jesus' point is, exactly. See, when we look at a fig tree, this is why it's so funny. We spend so much time trying to figure out, are these signs of the end times? And Jesus' parable for it is essentially a weather rock. I mean, think about it. When the trees bloom, you know it's summer. Okay, I'm trying not to be insulting. Did you need the trees to bloom to know it's summer? Like you're walking around. Oh, there are leaves on the trees. I had no idea. Well, look at that. I didn't know it was spring. I guess I don't need to do my Christmas shopping as I was planning to do today. I mean, we're not that rooted. And this is Jesus' point. His point is, when the end is here and these things are happening, you will not need to pull out some guide. You'll say, oh, my goodness, Jesus is coming. He's, he's here. It's happening. It's on. I don't know the date, but these things are, are going to happen. And he says, pay attention. When these things are going down, as Jesus describes, 
We need to have an understanding that he is coming soon. We need to have our our focus on the things of Christ. That's what Jesus describes here. Uh, Look at one verse in particular. It's one that many of us have thought about. Verse 32, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. I think there are two, one of two ways this could be taken. And I'll explain you both of these ways. First way. What he is saying is that these things really began during the first century, and they're just going to get worse and better over time. That's one way to understand it. You say, look, these things start. Let's look at a couple of signs. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Did that start in the first century? Yeah, we call that weekdays. That happens all the time. And then things get better over time. Then things get worse over time. Things get better over time. You know, and, and we mentioned this often before, in the early part of the 20th century, mankind really thought we were moving towards that time of ultimate peace and prosperity around the world. We, we thought with technological advancement and the Industrial Revolution that soon we were going to broach upon that time of worldwide peace and prosperity. And then what happened? World War I. And all of a sudden, everybody realized we have fixed a lot of problems, but we haven't fixed the human heart. We have merely come up with really efficient ways of killing one another. We haven't come up with really efficient ways of not killing one another. And so that was a whole shift in culture at that point. We realized things aren't getting better. They may be getting worse. But now, over a course of time, we've experienced more peace and prosperity maybe than we have For a while, when I was in high school, we had a war where no Americans were killed. Remember that? Storm and Norman. I was graduating from high school. We didn't know what was going down in Iraq. And and we had a war, and we couldn't believe what just happened. We invaded a whole country. And hardly anybody got got killed during that part of the conflict. And so now we started to think, oh, maybe it's getting better. Maybe we've solved all the world's problems again. What haven't we fixed? The human heart. And this is what Jesus could be saying. One of the ways we ought to understand this, he's saying, look, the signs will come, and there will be a day when you're going to look at the things that are happening, and you're going to say, Jesus is here. He's coming, because this has gotten really, really bad. But these things also began very early on. They began small. That's why he refers to them in other places as birth pangs. Another way to understand this as well is when that time comes, when sort of the fig tree blossoms and everybody says, hey, Captain Obvious, we're in the end, that only one, it will all happen within one generation. That when the end comes, it will be a very, then it's, it won't be delayed any longer. Either way, the application is the same. What does it mean during our life, during our time here to be stewards of our mandate to be witnesses for the risen Christ? The end is near. Raise up your head. Stand tall. The coming kingdom of Christ will come in all of its glory. And since our hope is fixed on that day, regardless of our experience today, as Christians, we can stand tall with our heads high because our hope is on a person and on his kingdom, and it will never fail. Regardless of what we're going through today, our hope should be fixed on the hope that will never fail, and that is Jesus Christ. Let's look at the rest of these verses beginning in verse 34. The end is near. Watch yourself. The end is near. Raise your head. Verse 34. But, what's it say? Watch yourselves. 
Our sense of time is really, really flawed. Let me read for you Psalm 90, beginning in verse 9. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Verse 12, so teach us to number our days. Our sense of time is flawed. The shortness of time in our lives should move us to live to glorify Jesus since his time is coming so soon. The longer we live, the more we realize how short we are. That's what happens. The longer we live, the the days go by like weeks, and the weeks go by quickly. Everything, Everything happens so fast. It's almost Christmas. And the, and the time goes quick, and the psalmist is here telling us, in thinking about the economy of God and his kingdom, we need to remember how brief our life here is on earth. We need to be aware of, of the brevity of our life so that we don't neglect the reality of Christ's return and have our focus on the wrong pursuits. If we have pursuits that are merely sinful pleasures or pursuits that are merely, merely trying to dull the pain of our life, These are symptomatic of a life that doesn't really think Jesus is ever coming back. Look with me again at Luke 21, verse 34. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Jesus here says the Lord will surprise some, but not others. On the day of the Lord, it will not be a good day if you are surprised. And how he wants us to watch our lives is not by looking at the eastern horizon. He wants us to look at our own hearts. And he said, you need to watch yourself because this life is difficult and our hearts can be weighed down. And there's a number of ways they can be weighed down. The first one is dissipation. That's an old school word for carousing or sexual immorality or living merely for the pleasures of the flesh this pursuit of the pleasures of this life and the pleasures of our of our flesh can weigh down our heart and draw our attention away from hope in christ and instead into the temporary hopes of this life weighed down with drunkenness and the cares of this life again seeking temporary fixes for the difficulty life brings to us being weighed down with the cares of this life. Part of us is is weighed down by the realities of all the the stresses and anxieties we carry, and those those weights can weigh our heart down. And Jesus says, watch yourselves in in all of these manners. We don't want our lives to be designed and aimed for pursuing dissipation and carousing and immorality or drunkenness or allowing anxiety to weigh us down. 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to read beginning in verse 15. 
Here's what the Apostle John says there by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And look, it's almost like John was there when Jesus was giving the Olivet Discourse. Listen to how he finishes this. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. It's almost like he had heard this passage. He says, listen, the world is passing away. Why would you hitch your wagon of hope to dissipation and drunkenness and the anxieties and worries of this life? This, this world is passing away, John says. And remember, John, and by the time he's writing First John, he's an old man. He's seen it all. He's done it all. He knows what this world has to offer. And he's saying, this world is passing away. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. The person whose faith and hope is rooted in Christ himself and his eternal kingdom, his hopes will never end. And what Jesus is telling to do, us to do is watch ourselves. Watch ourselves. Don't allow our hearts to be weighed down for short-term pleasures or short-term gratifications that are merely going to take our eyes off of the hope that is in Christ. Look at verse 35, Luke 21. It will come upon all who face, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble reading today. English isn't my first language. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. The day of the Lord is experienced by everyone who's going to be here. But what he is saying is not everybody's going to experience it the same way. Some are going to experience the day of the Lord in despair because all of their hopes are ruined. Others are going to experience difficulty, and they may have difficulty, they may have pain, they may have short-term stress and anxiety, but their hope will be fixed on that which is eternal. And Jesus is saying the key is watchfulness, looking at our own life and saying, what does it mean for me today to be yielded to Christ, his commission to be a witness, and his call to live a holy life in a broken world? What does it mean for me to anticipate his return, not merely as an intellectual exercise, but to anticipate his return in how I live? I anticipate his return by deciding to forego sinful pleasure. And I don't need them because I have a hope that's eternal. I anticipate his return by avoiding short-term fixes to stress. And his example here is drunkenness. I don't need that short-term fix because my hope is in an eternal kingdom. I don't have to fix my, my eyes on the, the pride of this life because my hope is in my Savior who is yet to come. So the day of the Lord... The, the things that are going to come in advance of the day, Lord, we experience the difficulties and stress, but we don't all experience them the same way. We don't despair if our hope is fixed on Jesus. Verse 36, stay awake at all times. I came timely for a couple of you. That's not nice. It's warm in here. You need. I always say, if you're going to sleep on Sunday morning, go for it. I have no problem. If you need some rest, I want to be there for you. doesn't bother me at all. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape. All these things are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. 
This reminds us, of course, of what's coming up in Luke chapter 22. I think we'll be looking at this section of Scripture on Good Friday evening. Luke 22, beginning in verse 39, Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he came to that place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. And he said this, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him, and, and being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer and he came to the disciples, he found them, what? Sleeping. For sorrow. He said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you will not enter temptation. And Jesus, over in Luke 21, is calling for us living in the times that are before the end. He's calling us also. Stay awake at all times. The disciples who were in the presence of Jesus before he went to the cross had trouble staying awake and attuned to the, the import of what was happening that evening. And we can be assured that those of us who believe and have not seen him face to face will have struggle staying alert to the purposes of his kingdom in his absence. A humble heart that is yielded to the purposes of Christ will desire to seek the Lord for the power to endure to the very end, come what may. And that's what Jesus is saying. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I'm not going to map out your life so you can look at every single day between now and your end or the end so that you will know exactly what's happening and being prepared for. He doesn't do that. What instead he says is pray that you will have alertness to stay awake and highly attuned to the mission of God, whatever might come into the future. The goal for the believer during the end times, the goal for the believer on any given day is to stand boldly before Jesus on that day, having endured to the very end. Now, those of us who are in Christ can anticipate a glorious welcome into the kingdom. But the Bible also teaches this in 1 Corinthians, that when we get there, we're going to look over our life, and some of us will have gone there, but experience a sense of, I could have done more. I could have stayed more alert. There are some opportunities I had that I, that I missed. And what Jesus is challenging us to do here is saying, be alert, because on that day, you will look at your life today differently than you do today. And he's calling us to look forward to that day by today being alert, patiently enduring the brief trials that we face, and watch our own hearts and their waywardness to seek temporary pleasures or short-term reliefs from stress that are sinful. Verse 37, every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night, he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. The difference between Jesus and us and he, is he knew what the future held for him. He's got crowds gathering around him to hear this powerful teaching. What does he know is going to happen in less than a week? All of these people who are fawning over him are going to scream at the top of their lungs, crucify him. Nonetheless, he keeps showing up and teaching. 
in humility, accomplishing the will of the Father to proclaim the good news. And this is what we need to do, is look at our Savior and say, my hope is not in today, this week, next week. My hope is in a kingdom that is yet to come. And since that kingdom is permanent, since that kingdom is, is glorious, I can lay aside temporary hopes to put my hope in something that's permanent, that someday. On that day, we will no longer have to live by faith, but this life as we live it today is a life of faith. A couple of things to think about, and then we'll close. Here's an easy question. Have you had a tough go of it? And maybe you answer that question. No, actually, things are pretty good. No, it'll come. We live in a broken world. I'm not trying to be depressing. It's just the way the world goes. We live in a broken world. Look at Jesus' words and be encouraged. He says, if you're really going through it, and we all do sometime or another, he says, lift your head. You can stand tall. Why? Because we have an eternal hope. We have an eternal hope. All of your prayers for help will have their final answer on that great day. God has seen everything you're going through, everything you have gone through. He has seen every single moment of it. And he intends on that great day to answer everything we've ever sought. And everything that we've endured will have meaning and purpose. Here are some of the struggles we fight with even now. Sin. You know, sin is kind of a struggle. And if you say you don't struggle with sin, people around you might say you might want to struggle a bit. Sin is a struggle. Why is sin a struggle? Because we don't want to, but we do. And sin is funny. We think it'll help, and then it doesn't help. And now we feel shame. And so now it's worse. It's a sin, addiction, unfairness, injustice. People have dealt with you wrongly and you have suffered loss, financial, relational, reputation, family. You have been lied about. You have been punished when you shouldn't have been. People have said things about you that are untrue or tainted. Unfairness, injustice, illness. Toil. What's toil? When you work really hard at something and it goes lame, and you did everything right, you just couldn't control all the variables. Other struggles, relationships, friendships. Sometimes things are great with people. Other times it's, it's terrible. Sometimes it's all their fault. Or maybe it's all your fault and you live with shame. That is broken because back then you were different and you don't know how to fix it. It's interesting, in our country, there's a group of people that endured all of these things, and they created fantastic songs. It's our African brothers and sisters in the pre-abolition days of American slavery. They created songs that we refer to as spirituals. Let me give you a couple of names of these songs. Some are songs you'll be familiar with, but these are folks who endured in faith through all of these things. Swing low, sweet cherry. It's me, Lord, standing in need of prayer. Steal away to Jesus. Now, what's great about steal away to Jesus and also swing low, sweet cherry, these were also code songs for the Underground Railroad. They would use these songs as ways to calling people into to freedom 
So they're both a call to spiritual freedom in the midst of injustice that could not be controlled by the individual. Suffering that was tantamount to hell itself. And yet these songs were songs rooted in hope of what? A kingdom to come. Steal away to Jesus. Here's a song, My Way's Cloudy. Hard Trials. Heaven, heaven, going to shout all over God's heaven. Nobody knows the trouble I have. I want to be ready to walk in Jerusalem just like John. What did we just learn about in God's Word? Here's one of our African brothers and sisters caught up in American servitude and slavery, and what are they saying? They're singing a song. I want to be ready for that day. There's no hope here. There's no hope here. So I want to have my hope in a a place that is to come. The gospel train, get on board, children. Wait till I put on that crown. Oh, man, oh, yes, wait till I put on that crown. Here's my favorite title of the spiritual. Didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? Another, I don't know if this one's better or not. I love it, though. Wrestle on, Jacob. Wrestle on. Finally, this title. I've been in the storm so long. Now, there are several kinds of spirituals that were sung. These songs are all sorrows. There are also jubilees that were sung. But what we see here is a group of individuals who recognize because of the situation of unfairness and justice they had to endure. There is no hope here. There is hope there on that kingdom. We fool ourselves if we think because we live in a different kind of space that there is hope here. There isn't. The only hope that is to be found is, oh man, oh man, when I put on that crown. Another thing to think about in this life, what possession do you own that is permanent? Look at verse 33 of Luke 21. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What possession do you own that is permanent? Only your Bible. God will honor and keep every single word of it, and wisdom tells us to pay attention to things that last forever. You've got one thing in your possession that's going to last forever, the Word of God. And if you're wise, you will recognize you ought to pay attention to the one thing in your life that lasts forever. So this one's short. When you get to heaven, you will not regret any of the time you spent in the Word of God. When you get to heaven, you're not going to, you know what? Wasted so much time reading my Bible. I guarantee you. I don't care how much you're reading it. When you get to heaven, there will not be a single regret for any of the moments you spent reading your word. That's all I have to say about that. Um, Last one. Then we're done. The, The end is near. When you think about the end of things, what are you watching for? What are you watching for? Turn on the news, open your paper. Joked last week about the price of oil. 
Jesus tells us what to watch. What are we supposed to watch? Remember what it said? Verse 34. Watch what? Would you close your Bible? Just because I said the end is near, you don't close your Bible. Watch yourselves. Jesus tells us to watch ourselves. Here's how I think the Bible frames our mission as witnesses and those enduring to the very end. I've said this many times before, so I'll just keep repeating it until you get it. We need to be so busy about the kingdom of God that when he shows up, it's an interruption. That we're just at it. Hand to the plow, working it. And when he shows up, I'm busy, busy. Oh, it's you. Good, I'm done. That's what it is until the very end. Plowing hard, working hard, on mission, as a witness, watching over my own heart as an and it's yearnings for dissipations and drunkenness and the, and the worries and cares of this life and say, no, I want to be on mission, on purpose, to the very end, so that if he shows up today, it's an interruption. The goal of knowing what is next is to fuel us to be ready for it, and the way we are ready for it is to watch ourselves and say, what has Christ called me to, do to, to be today? To be a witness. We all have to ask ourselves, are you ready? Jesus is coming soon. Some of us aren't ready because we haven't been forgiven. We never have come to God and sought reconciliation with him. Now, believers who aren't ready on that day will experience a sense of loss. That's what the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians, a sense of what could have been. Chips I left on the table that I... I didn't put into play. But to not be in Christ on that day is to be assured of separation from God forever because sin separates us from God. Now, the trouble we have today is the things that we call sin, the world around us tells us is fine. And it used to be that our culture acknowledged what was right and what is wrong. And nowadays, there is no sense of that broadly in our culture. But so I want you to think about this. If perhaps you're arguing with me, as you always do, I don't know that I need forgiveness. I haven't done anything wrong. The culture tells us all kinds of things are wrong in terms of how we express ourselves in uh, sexuality, in terms of how we engage in pleasure of the world, and in terms of our, the yearnings of our heart for significance and importance. We say, oh, listen, what's right is whatever I desire. And here's where I would challenge you on that. How's your conscience doing with that? When you go to sleep at night, do you say, you know what, I did everything right? Because God builds into every single one of us a sense of, you know, I don't think that was the right thing to do. Now, over the course of time, he allows us to squash that thing out so it doesn't register anymore. But the reality is, when we diverge from the ways God has called us to live, our very conscience tells us this isn't what's supposed to be. And what we call that feeling is shame. Is because I did this, I'm that kind of person. And here's what's fantastic about what Jesus says. He says, I came to forgive you for what you've done wrong and wipe out your shame. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've done at all. He says, I have come on purpose to pay the penalty for what you have done wrong so that you no longer have to experience shame and regret, you experience right relationship with God. 
And the way you experience that is by putting your faith in Christ for forgiveness. Because he died on the cross, the payment for your sin is covered. And because he rose from the dead, we can have hope that we will live for him and with him forever. And Jesus' call to us in this passage is, one day I am coming back, and on that day, you need to have things with God set straight. And the way you do that is to put your faith in Christ for your forgiveness. And some of us here haven't done that. And Jesus' words to you is, you're not ready, and I'm coming soon. Jesus, we thank you for the privilege it is to know you because you made yourself known by coming as a man, living a life of suffering and humiliation and death, but finally coming to a place of victory in the resurrection of the dead. God, we would agree with you that we don't look to your coming as intently as we ought to. Our hopes get fixed on little things in this world that we think are going to satisfy us. But your word tells us here, Lord, the only thing we should fix our hope on is you and your kingdom. God, I pray that you would give us the strength to endure to the very end, whatever might come in the days ahead. God, if we are that generation who will endure difficult things just prior to your, your return, I pray that the people of this body of believers would be those who would patiently endure until the very end. God, I pray that you would give us strength. I pray that you would quiet the enemy's accusation who is trying to convince us that we're not living good enough. But instead, Lord, we would just simply trust you. But most of all this morning, God, I pray for those who aren't ready because they don't know you. They still carry the burden of their own sin and shame on their shoulders. And God, I would pray in this moment, they would reach out to you in faith. Even praying, God, I need your forgiveness for what I've done wrong. I trust you to forgive me. God, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for your mercy, which is new every morning, and we thank you that your Holy Spirit gives us the strength to endure. And Jesus, we can't wait till you come back. Until then, Lord, we ask that you would make us effective witnesses of your resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you join me in standing as we close with a song?